Man, it's so, so cool to hear stories from you guys. And one of the things that, that I started doing with Jerry and Alice, I actually took my laptop and a big old microphone to the middle of the Florida Cancer Center, and I interviewed them for about an hour and 15 minutes, just asking questions and recording it. It's going to be one of the tougher recordings because i got to try to edit out all the beeps and bleeps and people falling over, paid, nurses getting paged, all that kind of stuff. But I think it'll be pretty raw. Uh, today, we're going to be in the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, open up to the book of Luke. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you just flip to your right until you get just over two-thirds of the way and you see names that you understand. If you see names like Hosea and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, wait till you get to some other names like Matthew and John. You're getting close. It's right in the mix of that. Uh, if you have a fake Bible, it's pretty easy. You just hit the books and go to there. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Let's pray and we will jump into God's word. Father, I thank you for the Yorks. I thank you for the kids. I thank you for the worship team, all of these pieces to, to, to gear our hearts toward you, to hear your word, to sing your praise. I pray now that you would transform lives today, that you would not let people walk out of here the same as they walked in, that your word would penetrate not only their mind, but the hearts and the actions of every person here. God, we love you. We commit this time to you. Open our eyes to see in Jesus' name. He was there with a bowl, a gold bowl in his hands. And the eyes of a nation were on him. They were watching him as, as he walked through the courts toward the holy place. And, and it was his time to go. He had been drawn. He had been picked. Odds 20,000 to 1. And it was there he held this bowl. And he didn't realize that the coals would be so hot. And he walked over feeling all of the eyes on him. Knowing that in just a few steps... He would finally be free of their gaze, and he walked in. A life-or-death moment for this man. Walking over toward the 18-inch square area where he would put this bowl of incense that would represent the prayers of a nation. Now, the Christmas story is so familiar to us. And we would all say the same thing. We, we know the stories. We know how it went down, right? You know the characters in the play. For example, we're just going to do a little quiz. Ready? Um, God sent an angel to a woman who didn't have children, and her name was? Mary. Wrong. Don't you love being wrong in church? Actually, there was another woman before Mary. Does anyone know her name? Elizabeth. See, now you're, you're catching on. Like, wait a second. That's not where the Christmas story begins. But today, we're looking at the pre-story, the story before the story, because that's where I think you'll find your story as you head into Christmas week, as we head in to the time where we're going to eat turkey and open gifts and pray and be with our family and think about Jesus. I want us to start where God starts, and he starts with Elizabeth and this man holding the gold bowl, Zechariah, this, this priest that would be called on one out of 20,000 to go do the sacrifice and the prayers of a nation for his people. So let's read in verse 5. We're going to read a little, stop a little. Uh, Luke 1, verse 5 says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, let's stop there for a second. I, I talk to a lot of people, and they, they ask me questions about how their life can be changed by God. And they'll say, well, what do we have to do in order to get blessed by God? 
What do we have to follow in order for God to, to break through in our finances, in our marriage, in our relationship with our kids or our coworkers, whatever it is? And I want us to, to look at this because right now this story starts. In the days of King Herod, we have two people, and they were described as walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes. So they looked at the Ten Commandments, and they nailed them down. They were like the rich young ruler. They had the external commandments down, but there's a big but, and this is not the good but, but they had no children. And I know for some of us in our culture, we don't really get the gravity of that verse because some people have kids, some people don't. But in this culture, to not have kids was not a good thing. It meant your family line would not go on. It meant the social security program uh, would not support you because your social security program was your children. I know that's mine. I tell my kids all the time when I'm changing their diapers, it's only a matter of time till I'm in diapers and I'm paying you back. So I tell them all the time. They don't understand me yet, but they'll get it one day when I'm wearing Depends. <clears throat> and this is where Zechariah and Elizabeth find themselves. They find themselves old with that big but. They were following God. They were doing everything the right way, but they had no children. And that was a big deal for them. And then the Bible also goes on to say they were advanced in years. You know when you, um, if you ever are wondering, when am I old? You know, because when I was a teenager, I thought people that were 25 were like dusty. And then when you're 25, you're like, no, maybe it's like those people in the 30s. And then you roll up into the 30s and you're like, man, 20s was good. And then if you're where I am, mid-30s, I mean, my hair's falling out, my beard's turning gray, my wife thinks it's sexy, so it's okay. But, but I don't like the look of it. I don't like all the stuff going on. Wrinkles are becoming more permanent than they used to be. And I think, ah, 40s maybe 50s, now I'm probably 69, maybe 74 is old. But here's what the Bible talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth. The Bible, when the Bible calls you advanced in years, you old. Like there's, like you're not pretending at that point. You're not like, well, we're still pretty in good. Should we walk every day? I'm like, the word of God called you ancient of days. Like that, this is when you know you're old. And this is where they are at the end of their life. And they they're waiting for a change in their script. They had wanted a son probably in their youth. Like you, you try in your 20s, maybe it doesn't work out, you keep going into your 30s. Biology's been pretty similar for quite a long time. You go into your 40s, you know it's probably not gonna happen, maybe into your 50s. I think that's when that prayer started to wane away, that hope. And, and I always tend to, and I don't know if this is true for you, but I tend to judge my script, my story, by, by blessings. When when I have enough money in the bank account, when life is okay, then I feel like, oh, life's pretty good. I, I must be getting, I must be blessed. We say that word all the time, we're blessed. I'm so blessed. But I think that's really a, a very American and narrow way to, to define blessed. <clears throat> Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were following blamelessly and did not have one of the blessings that they desired so greatly, and they had probably given up. Man, I, I want us to think about what it would be for us to just press into God even when things aren't going the way we think they should go in our head. And someone once told me this, and it's so true, if you don't drive, you won't get this analogy, but um, it's easier to steer a car when it's moving than when it's in park. And so often people will come to me and say, Ryan, I want God's blessings. Can you tell me what to read or where to go or what to pray? And I want to just tell them, just keep moving forward. Don't stand there and start looking around where you are and turning your steering wheel when the car's in park because it goes nowhere and you just grind the gravel into the parking lot below. 
You can't steer a car that's not moving. But if you start living for God, waiting, saying, God, I don't know what I'm specifically called to do, but I know you say to serve the poor. I know you say to help people in need. I know you say to love my neighbor as myself. So I'm just going to start doing that. Then your car is going to begin to move. Then you're going to begin to steer. And then you're going to be able to see what God can do when Carrie Underwood sings that song in your mirror and bade Jesus take the wheel and you'll be going somewhere. Rather than asking Jesus to take the wheel but putting your hands down and saying, I'm not going to hit the gas. I'm just going to wait for you to do something. And sometimes he will, but for sure when we start, he will enter into that uh, act of obedience and meet us there. That famous coffee mug verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. But as with any path, you've got to be moving forward to go on the path. So this is, this is Zechariah now. He's old. He's been, he prayed for a kid. They, they had no kid. And in that culture, Zechariah, and it's not right, so don't like send me a comment card or an email. I'm not saying it that I would do it, but I'm saying Zechariah would have been badgered by his friends after Elizabeth got to like 50 years old. They would have said, you know, you have the right to go find another wife, to take up another woman. You can trade in the old model for the new model, the model A for the model B, and you can have kids because your line needs to go on. Zechariah would have heard that at every family gathering probably from the time he got married until the time that Elizabeth was no longer able to bear children. Could you imagine being at those Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners? I mean, some of us have family that are coming over and we're really looking forward to it. Some of us have family coming over and we're really looking forward to when they leave. This was probably Zechariah's phase right now. Knowing that if we go into one more holiday and Uncle Bob comes over and tells me one more time, well, you should trade in your wife for a younger model and have a kid. I'm just going to punch Uncle Bob in the mouth because he would have heard it for decades and he would have prayed. But God, God had such a different plan. God wanted to pick old people who were well beyond childbearing years to do something ridiculously amazing. Uh, so let's, let's read in verse 8. We'll keep reading. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, that means they cast dice, drew lots basically, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So this was a one in 20,000 job. So let me put it in like modern terms. One church in the city, 20,000 pastors. They drew his lot and it was his week. He would probably just get a week or maybe two weeks in your lifetime to do this, to go before God and offer up the prayers of all the people, to walk into the holy places of God and watch the people let you go in there and to lift up the prayers of all of a nation on your shoulders. And this is the scene where Zechariah is doing this. He would walk in with that bowl, holding it with the incense rising up before him, knowing full well that God does not mess around with his priests in the Old Testament. It's not in any of the, the official writings, but it's in the Jewish tradition that they used to tie a rope around the lead priest's leg in case he dropped dead in the presence of God. Like, if, if, you, if you don't know what job security is like, I mean, that's, that's about as risky a job as you can get. Like, I've watched the deadliest catch and some crazy, craziest jobs in the world, being a dump truck diver, whatever it is, you get sick, you die. Literally, you would walk in with this bowl, getting ready to pray and offer the sacrifices, and your homeboy assistant is wrapping a rope around your leg in case you die so he could drag you out. If that doesn't freak you out, I don't know what would. Because I know that if that's me, I'm thinking, man, dude, 
Just last week, I saw this commercial. Did I look away soon enough? Did I repent for that? I don't even know. And I'd just be walking in like a half a step, tiptoe in, tiptoe out. And he went to where the ark would have been. But at the time of Zechariah, the, uh, the ark, the ark of the covenant, was already missing for over 600 years. We don't know who had it. We don't know if the Philistines had it. We don't know if a Jewish person took it. We don't know if Indiana Jones had it still. Um, but we do know, just checking, we do know that it wasn't there. And when Zechariah went in, he would set up the incense, and he would offer prayers. Now, I don't think that if this is your job and you get a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I don't think an 88, 90-year-old man is going to go in there and start praying for personal things. I don't think he's going to go in there and say, God, I'm here. It's my time. I'm ready for that Audi. And if you want to give my wife a kid, I mean, I know we're old, but it'd be cool. I don't think he was doing that. I think once you hit like 60, you probably stop praying for a kid. I think there comes a point, and I've been married just for like eight years, so I don't fully understand women, and by I don't fully, I mean I don't get them at all. But, but there's a moment where I think if you're Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, you're 60 years old, maybe you pray for a kid every once in a while, but I think at one point they may probably had Elizabeth's 80th birthday, you know, and Zechariah just had this big old flatbread cake with 80 candles in it, just making her feel old as dust because the Bible says she's advanced. And, and I think... At one of her birthdays, he probably said, God, we would love the blessing of a kid. And Elizabeth, because wives are way more realistic than husbands are with every matter in life, Elizabeth probably just leaned over and said, Zach, I'm turning 80. Just pray that I live one more year. Don't pray for a one-year-old. Like, I'm not ready for that anymore. And I think they'd probably given up. But what happens next is what God does when he gets a hold of our script. When he comes into our lives and we don't expect him to do things, this is what he did. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. I don't know if he paused there for dramatic effect or not, but if I were Zechariah, I'd be wondering which prayer. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Do you see this picture? Zechariah had just entered into this holy place. He's there by himself offering up prayers. An angel pops out in the middle of his prayer time. He gets scared, and the angel says, I have answered your prayers. And he's probably thinking, well, that's good, because I just prayed that we'd defeat the Romans. I just prayed that we'd get out of slavery. But no, he goes all the way back to a prayer that Zechariah probably hadn't prayed for over 30 years. Your wife's going to be with child. And you feel like he's, he's getting that question, like, excuse me, excuse me. Um, the inspired word of God called my wife old news, just so you know. And this is, that's the paraphrased version of what happens, because this is what he says in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Smart husband. I'm old. My wife, she's advanced, advanced. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. I, I need to cover a few things here. He, here's where Zechariah is. He's at their version of church, and he's doing all the right things. But 
you better believe that he was burdened without having a son to carry on his name. You better believe that that was, that was getting to him. And he was probably just doing that thing that my choir teacher taught me, fake it till you make it. And so often, I have this fear that the place we fake our lives being together the most is here. And I know, I mean, I've been around the block. I know that some of our lives, by some, I mean all, are jacked up. I know that we've got good years and bad years. And I've told you this before, I really look forward to the day where finally my pride can be down at a level so I can just be even more honest and terrify people away from here. Because let's be honest, if we're faking it at church and then we go home and we're this rancid, angry, foul-mouthed person to our spouse or our kids, that's not going to do any good. You know, there's, there's something that happens uh, when we come in here and we fake it. So here's, here's what they said. I want to go back up to verse 17, or verse 16, sorry. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So this is a weird line. The angel says, this is what your son's going to do. And unless you're an Old Testament person that loves reading the Bible, you may not know this. But the very last verses in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, are these words. So God had this huge story. He created the world. Things got jacked up. They had all the main characters. Abraham came, Moses came, and slavery, boom, kings, Goliath, David, whack, Solomon, wives, prostitutes going, breaking down, kingdom split, come back together. That's a whole testament right there. You're welcome. Don't have to read it this year. And then at the very end of it, he says, God's going to do something. He's going he's to bring fathers and sons back together. He's going to bring the hearts of parents and children together in a new way. And then God goes dark for 400 years. He leaves this prophecy, and there's all these prophecies saying something's coming, something's going to change, and then he ends it. And now, when God jumps back on the scene here in Luke, he says this prophecy that God said right before he went dark, it's now. And part of what's going to happen in this new covenant is that the families are going to get stronger again. And I know some of us are thinking, Ryan, the families are so weak in our culture. The family unit has disintegrated in our culture. And I want to tell you, well, part of God's plan is to raise up the family. God knows how important the family is, the family unit. He created it. He created men and women and the process that you make babies with. We call it playing Legos. And he, some of you are like, just with my brain, I'm sorry. And he, he said, this is good. And the enemy said, yeah, that is good. I'm going to do whatever I can to wreck it. I see that families are good, and I'm going to ruin it. But here's God when he breaks the silence, saying, I'm bringing back what I promised. I'm going to bring back the family unit and make it strong again. And this was the opening of the Christmas story. And I'm going to do it by giving a child to an 88-year-old woman and a 92-year-old man, and I'm going to shock the world. I can't wait till we get to the day where we're real and honest and authentic here, and we go home and pretend to be good. I, I know that I'm not alone, because I stand by the door sometimes, and, and you could see tears in people's eyes. I know there are mornings when I greet some of you out at the minivan, and I say, hey, how's it going? And you say, oh, everything's good. But what you really mean is, I am so angry. I'm not talking to this one. I don't like that one. If this one doesn't change your attitude in 48 hours, he's not going to be alive. Like, that's the greeting I want. And I'd be like, welcome, we're here for you. 
I want the dads and the moms that are, that are coming here week after week saying, I don't know how we're going to get through this week. I'm just desperate. I need something inside that building. I need God to break in and do something because my script is not working out. My story is not the way that I had envisioned it. And that's when God says, just wait. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth were childless and doing the right thing for years until they were dusty and then God broke in and gave her great joy. Instead of being your real self at home and pretending here, I'd rather you come here and just curse like a sailor and then go home and be a saint with your kids. I mean, I don't really mean that. No, I probably do mean that actually. Yeah, yeah, I do. Do that. If you have anger problems, I'd rather you come here and punch me in the jaw than yell at your, your wife or kids or, or husband or whoever it is. Because I could take it. I was telling my wife this week, you know, things are always weird with church ministry. And she said, how you feeling about this? How you feeling about that? And my mother-in-law's texted me. She was a pastor's wife also. My, my, my wife is a pastor's kid. I don't know why she married a pastor, glutton for punishment. So, so my mother-in-law and my wife were asking me these things. How are you doing with this? How are you doing with that? And I was all pumped up. This was like on Tuesday or Monday. And I just texted my mother-in-law because she, she knew I was getting some, having some things come against me. And I said, I eat adversity for breakfast. And she's like 67. I'm like, does she know what that means? I'm like quoting Rocky to my mother-in-law. I don't know. And my wife, how are you doing? I'm like, just bring it on. Every time someone criticizes me, ooh, I'm, just, I'm so ready for it. I just eat it, spit it out, punch another one in. And I think sometimes, sometimes we think that that's going to be enough, just fighting our way through it, rather than saying, God, this story that I'm in, I, I don't really want it. I'll be faithful, and I'm waiting for you to give me a new one. I'm not going to fight my way into a story in an unnatural way. I'm not going to go get the younger wife like Zechariah could have done. I'm not going to go get this car to make me happy or this house or this neighborhood. I'm going to pursue you and do what's right until you tell me where to go. And I'm going to make my family strong. I want you to do that. If you could, we're going to jump away from that passage, but I just want you to, to have that thought this week. If, if you're a different person at your house than you are here, just swap those personalities. I'll still let you come to church. It's okay. I, I'm not married to you, so I can't divorce you. You can come sit in the front row. If it's real bad, I'll put you in the back row. But I, but I want us to go home and say, God, I need the strength when you pull in that driveway. I need the strength to be a, a good dad, a good mom, a good sibling. Because I know that it's hard. Man, there are days that I'd rather work than play with my kids. And I love playing. But my kids are all into Minecraft lately. And uh, it's this game where you, it's like Legos but on the iPad. And, um, and man, I'm just so over that game. Because my kids kill me with these diamond swords every time I get in it. And then they talk like they're all hard to me. Like my seven-year-old and four-year-old, like, Daddy, we killed you with our diamond swords and diamond armor. And I'll get back in the game, they'll kill me again. And I get so frustrated because I'm not a sinful person at all. And I'll throw my phone down and be like, let's go outside. We're going to battle. And Jackson's like, it's okay, I'll use a wood sword. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to battle for real. You kill me, I kill you. And he goes, Daddy, what game were we playing? I'm like, this game. You know, he doesn't get it yet but I'm going to beat him one of these days when he's 16 and keep him in his place. You know, being a dad and caring for your family is hard. It's hard. It is so much fun for me to nerd out and just read. The last two days I was under the weather. Uh, some friends of mine gave me a, an amazing book called the, the, the Land. What's it called? A Land Remembered. It's about Florida's history. It's fictional. It's like 400 pages. 
I just busted through that in two and a half days because I love being sick. I act like a toddler. I'm like, babe, take care of me. Where's my Gatorade? And I'm just reading books all day. But man, that's easy. You know what hard work is? Hard work is when you're tired at the end of the day and your wife is looking like she's going to kill something. And, and she says, can you help the kids brush, can you brush the kids' teeth? And in, in my sinfulness, I just think like, That's what's hard. Hard is when you don't understand what's going on in a relationship, but you stick in it. But you say, I'm going to stick with this because God cares about the family, because God cares what happens when our door is closed, when nobody's looking, because God is there and knows that the strength of a community is going to be built on the strength of the families that build the strength of the church. So that's a side note, but that's what God's doing. He's restoring order to things that were broken. The family got broken. He's restoring order. Sin broke the world. He's restoring the world. And then Zechariah has this angel. I love this. Here he is with his bowl. Angel pops up. Angel says, this is what I'm doing. Family's coming back. God's going to be doing awesome things. Your 88-year-old wife is going to get pregnant. This is going to be the best. And I don't know about you, but I wonder things in the Bible. Like, I think if he's 90-something and tradition has it, she's 88. Like, how often are they getting romantic? Um, I wonder that. But then Zechariah says, how shall I know this? I am an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And then here's how a Gabriel answers. Zechariah says, how do I know what you're saying is true, winged creature who dispels light with his very presence? And Gabriel says, I stand in front of God, the creator of all things, the maker of wombs and the maker of this practice you call Lego building. You will be pregnant. And then the angel says the best thing. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that all these things take place because you did not believe my words. You did not have faith, so you cannot talk. And remember, he's getting his mouth shut as he's coming out of the biggest workday in his life where he's gonna have thousands of people waiting for him to tell them what God said if God said anything in the temple. Because he's in there quivering with the bowl, he's offering prayers up, he's got the rope around his thing, the angel pops up, probably scared him half to death, then says, you don't believe me? You're not gonna talk, and then goes outside, and the people said, we knew something was wrong because you were in there for so long. What happened? Verse 22 says, when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. Could you imagine, on the biggest day of your career, the biggest day, you're supposed to go pray to God, connect with him, be all super spiritual, and then go outside and tell what God had said. And God says, you're going to have a kid. And he says, I don't believe you. Angel says, I stand in the face of God. You should believe me. Boom. Now go outside and tell people your message. This is the first game, probably, of mass charades that was ever played. Because he probably came out and everyone was looking at him. And he was like, And they're like, he must have seen a vision. It was of a flying pregnant buzzard. Or, you know, who knows what he's doing? Just trying to get through the story. And then what do you think when you go back to your family gatherings then? You have relations with your wife. She gets pregnant. She's 88 years old. She's there belly growing. You still can't talk. People come over. Uncle Bob's like high-fiving you now. Yeah, way to go. Right before you die, pop out a kid. And then... 
The child is born. The child is born. And this is the Christmas story before the story. And you're wondering, how, how does that fit in for me? These are Bible people, right? These are Bible characters. I've got my, my 21st century problems. I've got mortgages. I've got relational issues. I've got kids who despise me. I, I've got a bank account that's overdrafting day after day after day. I've got debt out of my ears. What does this story have to do to me? Well, here's where it is. So many of you this Christmas season, you've written off that God could change your script because of circumstances that you think have you stuck. You think you have less hope than an 88-year-old woman and a 90-year-old man whose dream was to have one child? I mean, I get why Zechariah said, you've got to be kidding me, God, because it seems so unlikely. And some of you are thinking, we cannot get out of our situation. We don't know what to do to get out of this. And here's what I want to tell you. Some of you are waiting for the the magic spiritual formula, and some of you would pay me $10,000 if I had a formula to get you out of your current situation. But what I have is this. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of the story that you don't like right now, God will meet you there. He's not expecting perfection out of you. It says that Elizabeth and Zechariah walked blamelessly. Their external actions, they were nailed down. But what they didn't have is that they didn't have faith. They didn't have faith that God could do the impossible. They didn't believe that their Christmas story could have a child involved in it. They didn't believe that God could overcome old age and dusty ovaries. Some of you don't believe that God can overcome your job, that God could overcome your relationship. Some of you don't believe that God could reach into the heart of your spouse and take it out and turn it from stone to flesh and plunge it back in. But I've seen it happen hundreds if not thousands of times. When I interviewed Jerry and Alice at the chemo place this week, I asked them various questions. One of them was about their Bible reading. I said, how have things changed from when you got cancer to where you are today? And they said, it was like we could see. Now we can't get enough of the Bible. We can't wait till Sundays. We just want to hear what God's going to say to us. And we just keep reading and going through it. And I said, yeah, isn't that the best? And some of you are thinking, I don't have that. And I want that. Well, here's what you do. You position yourself under God's commands. And you say, God, I fall short and I need you. And I'm going to do things that you tell me to do so I can steer this car a little bit. I'm going to care for others. I'm going to love my neighbor. And I'm just going to wait for you to show up. And he might show up earlier than you expected. He might show up later than you expected. But as we press into him, not pressing into cleaning ourselves up, but press into our need for someone to bring us along, God will show up. As I've been telling people lately who have been asking, how do I get over this spiritual dry spell that I'm in? I tell them, I need you to go to God and bring nothing. Part of why we get stuck in a Christian spell is we go to God and we bring something. We say, God, look what I've done. God, look who I am. God, look at my gifts. God, look at my talents. God, look at my offering. God, look at my tithes. God, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. And God wants us to come to the place where we can just say, God, my story, my script, it's broken and jacked up in a hot mess. I need you, because without you, I'm not going to make it through this Christmas. I'm not going to make it through 2016. And fall at his grace and mercy, and let the creator, your father, if you are in Jesus Christ, let him give you good gifts like a dad wants to do. That's the Christmas story before the story.
this Thursday. I'm excited. We're going to have a service in here. It's going to be hot. I'm going to turn the AC on early in the morning. We're going to have every chair out. But I want you to bring people who need hope. I want you to bring your neighbor who is weary and exhausted because this life has been beating them down. And just say, come. Come for 50 minutes of hope and freedom. And that's what we're going to do. It's not going to be big thrills. It's not going to be brass orchestras. It's going to be us singing songs to Jesus. And we're going to let our neighbors and friends and coworkers watch. And I'm going to get up and I might even suit up. Probably not going to suit up. I might wear flip-flops and preach the gospel as boldly as I can. The gospel that Jesus came to restore what's broken. The gospel that says it's not about you getting better, it's about Jesus being the best for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your good love toward me, toward a sinner like me, that you would reach into my life, snatch me out of the swamp, and love me despite all of my constant failures. It blows me away. God, what blows me away beyond that is that I know the stories of so many of these people and you love them. You love them more than they know or could imagine. God, there's stories here like Zechariah's and Elizabeth's, people feeling stuck, people feeling like their script is not going their way, people feeling like life needs to change or they're going to give up. God, give them eyes to see your future glory. Help them bear through these trials knowing that these temporary pains lead to eternal joys and pleasures and surround them with church family that will encourage them and pray for them and help provide for them in times of need. God, we're living in a world where people are tired and weary and broken. I'm one of them and I need you. There are so many in this community and they need to hear your good news that you've come to set captives free that you've come to take the heavy burden and make it light God we love you in Jesus name Amen